0: Hello, I'm Jesse Walls from Eagle Hawk Presbyterian Church. We're a church seeking to make disciple-making disciples of Jesus. Thank you to Life FM for continuing to host us. Today, as we look to God's Word, our reading is Daniel 3, so you can begin looking that up now. This sermon was recorded live at Eagle Hawk Presbyterian Church, and the preacher is Douglas Bennett. And while you're getting Daniel 3 ready, I'll pray, asking God to bless us as we read and consider his word, read the passage, and then we'll go to the sermon. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray now that as we hear your word read and preached, you would be at work in our hearts and minds. Encourage us, give us boldness, show us your grace, power, and control over all things. And encourage us in our walk with Jesus. In Jesus' name, Amen. And now let's read Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits, and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the, de- to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counsellors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trion, harp, But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of these men. The hairs of their head was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him
1: we'll be considering this famous passage in the Bible. We've just heard it read, and the tension that those men faced was very real. I wonder if sometimes as you watch things going on and you hear about things going on and the penalties for not jumping in line, you might be wondering if we are heading that direction. But we have a God who's in charge. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were captured along with a man called Daniel that the book is named after and who wrote much of it. They were captured with Daniel and others of God's chosen people and taken to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar in about 605 BC. Then he put them through training to become leaders in their captured nation. They hadn't done it begrudgingly. Rather, they'd excelled. And they, together with their friend Daniel, were recognised by the king as the best of all his wise men. And they'd been given leadership roles. There'd been challenges, for sure, adapting to life and leadership in Babylonian culture. And as happens when your life focus is to honour God, You need to work out how to serve as God's ambassador in the culture he's placed you in and where you must draw the line, as they'd had to do. And if you're in business, you might have to do. Now, these men faced another faith conflict in their roles as leaders. The prestige and privileges of Babylonian leadership had not corrupted them. When an absolute monarch like Nebuchadnezzar gets it into his head to prove how invincible he is, it's inevitable that others will suffer as a result. That's where this drama starts. We all face pressure to go along with the commonly held values of groups that we're linked to, whether in the community, in the church, or the government. In recent years, we were banned from many normal interactions, separating us from others and even from meeting together for worship. That created tension for many of us too. So why and what was it that enabled these men to stand apart from all the others in Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, to trust God and invite an embarrassing and tortuous death at his hands? And what will enable you and I to do so too when the time comes? In the previous chapter, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream in which he saw a statue with a head of gold, chest and arms of silver, stomach and thighs of bronze, legs of iron and feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And in that dream, a stone appeared from nowhere, It hit the statue, it shattered it, and it turned it all to dust, which blew away. Nebuchadnezzar was scared. He summoned his wise men and forced them to tell him both the dream and its interpretation. Otherwise, he'd kill them. They were scared. They couldn't. And word got to Daniel. And Daniel sent message to the king and said, give me time and I'll let you know. Nebuchadnezzar was the head of God. God revealed it to Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar was the head of gold and the stone represented God's kingdom which would one day destroy all the others and be the only remaining one. Nebuchadnezzar was humbled and said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mystery. He promoted Daniel, and Daniel asked him also to promote Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to higher leadership positions in his kingdom. So we're not talking about three ordinary people. We're talking about three leaders in the Babylonian Empire. Nebuchadnezzar, when Daniel interpreted his dream and revealed that God had given it, even appeared to be on the threshold of making a personal commitment to God. But he didn't. As you may have experienced yourself, when talking to someone with whom you shared the gospel, a major spiritual battle is involved because it involves the person escaping the power of Satan that holds them fast to find freedom in God. And only God can do that in their life. And this is where we find the key to what makes all the difference in our allegiance and ability to stand under trial. Now, some years later, after that dream, I've seen figures of between 9 and 20 years later. We really don't know. But down the track, King Nebuchadnezzar steps out in defiant pride and had a large gold image, about 27 metres high, 2.7 metres in diameter, erected. So about 90 feet by 9 feet, if you're like me that prefer the old system. He had it erected on a plain and then he called upon all his leaders throughout his kingdom to come and assemble together because he was going to have them bow and worship it. Its purpose was clear. Nebuchadnezzar's dream about a statue with a head of gold and body of other metals being destroyed by a stone had remained with him. But he was the head of gold. And in defiance to God, he would built the whole idol with gold. Not with just a golden head. After all, he was the greatest. No one else was great. And he was no doubt expecting to be able to stay there. Leaders need a united team. So as Nebuchadnezzar was building his kingdom, he needed his whole team from all sorts of backgrounds, different countries, religions and skills and power levels to be united. A common religious allegiance is a powerful way to do this. So he built this national shrine and required that every leader bow down and worship it. No exceptions. So all of them gathered, the richest, most influential, most educated people of his day, gathered together on the plain of Jura to demonstrate unity. Surely you'd think some of them must have been thinking, what's this about? I don't feel comfortable. Surely they must have realised what they're being asked to do. The saying is that everyone has a price and these men had theirs. These people believed that the king's favour and their positions of power were worth a moment of blasphemy. But how wrong they were. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were among those summoned to assemble with the other significant people. Nebuchadnezzar expected conformity. Nobody was called on to recant their belief. Just participate on this national day with everyone else. It was to be a unifying event. So to help win the enthusiasm of everyone, he placed great significance on the cultural aspect of the whole affair. And some comment that the repetition of all the instruments there is to build up this sense of uh, a great occasion that uh, would have been attracted uh, attractive to them. But to ensure its success... There was the expected threat, which he hoped would keep any potential crackpot resistors in line. Surely, such a range of cultural diversity provided something for everyone. As I said, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were there among the leaders. They and the Jewish exiles living in Babylon had no in-principle agreement, disagreement with being in Babylon. Yeah, they didn't like it. They'd been captured. And that had been taken away, and that had been prophesied years before that it would happen unless the Jewish people returned to God and stayed with God. So they knew why they were in Babylon. They worshipped Yahweh, the one true God, as they had in their own land. And those around them didn't know what to do with them. They were often suspect and hated and thought of as misfits, because of their monotheism, because they worshipped a different God in an uncompromising manner. This was the hardest test of loyalty to God they'd faced. The ultimate decision about what values most is the hardest for anyone. Sorry, about which values matter the most is the hardest decision for anyone. On one side was position, wealth, security and life itself. On the other was God and living to honour him. Consider for a moment, if you face that challenge today, how would your discussion with people who were saying, come on, let's just go along with it, go? Perhaps even with some of your friends going to church, it might go like this. Nobody is asking you to renounce God. You don't have to say anything, and after all, the king's been good to you. Think about it. It's only a one-off deal. What's the problem with just once? The statue's just a joke. It's not God, and it doesn't have power. Or what's your family going to do if you throw your life away needlessly like this? You need to take power. You need to take part like everyone else for our sakes. We need you there in the corridors of power. And like today, for most people, it seemed politically expedient to simply participate, even if they didn't agree. This is what Nebuchadnezzar wanted and what those engineering our society also want today. Why make a show of it? You don't want to stand out, do you? John Lennox says, Nebuchadnezzar's whole scheme of getting his leaders to bow depended on the assumption that for each person, life and living was their ultimate value. But but honouring God has a higher value. And three men would not bow. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego possibly hoped that nobody would notice their refusal to participate in this act that clashed with God's law to worship nothing and no one except him but they had made up their mind if they were confronted how they would act. They would act in faith and there would be no backing down. When our foremost value is to honour God and trust him for our life and salvation, it enables us to act decisively when faced with challenges that demand uh, we compromise our allegiance to him. Situational decisions without such a predetermination causes turmoil and a much greater likelihood of just following along, justifying our actions as not too bad. Or as one leader said to me, you know how it is. The King's Chaldean advisers were jealous of the rapid advancement of the young Jewish men and saw an opportunity to eliminate them. Watch out for jealous people. Our refusal to compromise with demands, conflicting with God's teaching in scripture is likely to ignite hostility. The Chaldeans had forgotten it was Daniel who had saved their lives by telling the king his dream. Now under the guise of their own faithfulness to Nebuchadnezzar, they reported Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Yep, they dobbed them in. Whatever spiritual experiences Nebuchadnezzar had experienced, they knew he wasn't a convert to the God of the Jews. So simply mentioning the Hebrews weren't following his wishes, they knew they wouldn't have to bother any more with these men who were usurping their chances to power. In verses thirteen to fifteen, we read Nebuchadnezzar was furious. How dare these leaders let their beliefs? Get in the way of the interests of the kingdom. Do you recall some similar incidents in our own culture, in our own country? A few months ago last year, when some rugby players refused to participate in a game that was to celebrate values which conflicted with their fate, there was a storm. There have been other storms like that. Nebuchadnezzar's actions show that although he'd honoured Daniel, for revealing the troubling dream and his position as the golden head when others couldn't, he remained completely blind to God's power at work in the situation. These young men were living by the Ten Commandments. Exodus 23 says, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. After being summoned and threatened, we read in verses 16 to 18, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to rescue us, to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. They were acting in faith. They didn't need to stop and pray. They didn't need to discuss it with others. Their lives were a prayer offered to God. Faith means trusting in God and his word. Trust in God implies the recognition of his power and omnipotence. After all, God had promised to establish a kingdom that could never be destroyed and these men were focused on being a part of it. They had confidence in God's power so that they were completely submissive to his will, whatever that might be. Should God deliver them, his name would be vindicated. If they had died, they'd not have regarded their death in the flames as a failure of faith, but rather an indication of God's will. God is sovereign, and what matters in eternity is that our lives are lived for him. To carry out his will and purpose, and to honour him. King Nebuchadnezzar couldn't control his rage. He did question the three young men again to avoid any misunderstanding because they were good administrators and he really didn't want to lose them. But such a challenge to his authority couldn't go without punishment. So he ordered the furnace that was already burning as an encouragement to everyone to comply, to be heated seven times hotter. Back in Jeremiah 29:22, it tells us that execution by cremation at that time wasn't unknown. The furnace he was heating was an industrial-sized furnace, somewhat akin to a railway tunnel, the length of a city block with two levels and several sections, blocked off at one end. How it worked didn't matter. What mattered was God's action. This scene underlies the helplessness and apparent hopelessness in which the situation of the kingdom of God is often placed. These men held on to the assurance given in Isaiah forty-three five, Fear not, for I am with you. Whether in life or death, the Lord himself would be with them. They were thrown into the furnace, fully clothed, And that would normally make the first few moments of pain even worse. Nebuchadnezzar was watching to ensure his orders were carried out. But the extreme heat killed his military men as they threw them in. Neither the heat nor the flames affected the three men in any way except to free them. Nebuchadnezzar watching on was utterly astounded. He leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisers, "Weren't the three men, uh, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire?" They replied, "Certainly, O King." He was probably frightened too, as he recognised the obvious spiritual help given to the men. He would seen God's power at work before. Now there were four men walking around in the furnace at peace with the world. He couldn't refute God's power was vastly greater than his own. Nebuchadnezzar surrendered and called them out. He was once again a powerless spectator. The flames which were completely inconsequential to Almighty God whom the men told him they would rely on. Once again the God of heaven had shown Nebuchadnezzar it is he who has the power. Nebuchadnezzar was merely his instrument and could only do what God permitted him to do and he was left to contemplate the futility of his rebellion. The fire killed his servants but neatly removed the bands that bound the men leaving no evidence that even being near a fire. The power encounter was complete. Daniel tells us that a crowd gathered and saw it. Daniel clearly wanted it recorded that God had shown his power. The deliverance of the three men was complete and supernatural. Nebuchadnezzar was confronted by God's power and left awestruck by the spiritual strength that protected these Israelites who obeyed their God and refused to obey him. There was nothing like it. And he was speechless. he had seen the power and he had to begrudgingly acknowledge that a far greater power than he had ruled. Yet while recognising the hand of God, he wasn't converted. His pride wasn't humbled and he didn't seek God's grace, but only referred to him as the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Amazing too, as Alec Matea writes, The fire of his anger was quenched by what he saw and he realised that no matter what he did, nothing could cut them off from divine help. The more he persecuted them, the more he confirmed their witness and so he began to understand that there was a God in heaven who was overseeing his people. Many people through the ages and around the world today too are facing the test of living out their faith, And some are losing their lives as they do so. Some are seeing God's miracles as they do so, as God's people pray, as they pray. God can deliver, but he doesn't always choose to do so. In his book, Against the Flow, John Lennox tells of talking with people who survived the Soviet gulag. One man detained for teaching children from the Bible said he could not have imagined how he would cope. But he said God met him exactly as Jesus had promised his disciples when he was preparing them for victimisation and persecution. Hebrews 4.16 says, God has promised to give us peace in our time of need. He will always give it in time. So how do we negotiate these challenges as they occur today? I have four suggestions or recommendations. Firstly, value the Bible and spend time reading it and grow in knowing God's word and believing that what it says is true. Be intent in praying to him. Pursue growing to know and walking with God. Be diligent, alert and consider when to stand then trust God for the outcome. If you don't know Jesus as your Saviour and Lord, please speak to someone today. Because without knowing God and trusting him, you will have no power to resist and defeat evil. Let each of us live to be able to say with the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy verses 7 and 8, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. May God give each of us the grace and the wisdom necessary to know when we will need to say no.
0: That was Douglas Bennett, and I'm Jesse Wolls from Eagle Hawk Presbyterian Church, and I pray you've been blessed as you've spent this time in God's Word. Next week, we'd love to have you join us in person for our service at 10am. I hope to see you there. And as always, if you'd like to make a comment on what you've heard today, you have a question or you're looking for a church, then please get in contact with us. Our website is eaglehawkpc.org.au. You can also contact us through Facebook or Instagram. God bless you.